Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nuclear fusion, the energy which fires the hydrogen bomb, and the sun. Could this be the pot of gold waiting at the end of the rainbow? To provide energy which is cheap, clean, and inexhaustible. Eddie Kasanovich will be left with the one thing no one else possesses. Cheap, abundant energy, water with the hydrogen. Who'd be interested in this technology? A secret. Who wouldn't? the rest of the world would kill for. Up to now, we've been able to release the energy in that water in an uncontrolled way. And that was the H-bomb, which works on very different principles, and that isn't what we want at all. What we want to do is to release the energy bit by bit in a controlled way so that we can use it for energy for all mankind. If we're going to stop global warming, we've got to stop using fossil fuels. And we have to stop using fossil fuels in the next few decades. We've got to come up with some other sources of energy. Fusion is probably the perfect way to do it. Unfortunately, it's really hard to do. We're running out of time. We have polluted and peopled this planet to the brink of extinction. We are destroying our world at a suicidal pace. We need a pollution revolution. There have been many false starts before, but some scientists see real reason for hope that this path will eventually pay off. You have to create the conditions that you might have in the middle of a star. Uh, Equivalent temperatures of hundreds of millions of degrees. Um, If we could do that on Earth, it would make a superb way to make energy. Anyway, you said you had it under control. I did. There's an awful lot of explaining to do. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. How are you, Michael? I'm very well, thanks, Rick. How are you? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you want me to tell you? No, I'm not interested in the slightest. Well, I'm ill. Okay. Have I mentioned that before? Yeah, yeah. I I think I got the impression you you might be slightly under the weather. Um, So... The the show, I mean, come on, by now, you definitely know how the show works. We take one piece of fiction and we ask one massive question of it. And this week, you're going to be leading us, aren't you, Brooks? I am, yeah. Uh, what are you leading us on? We are looking at the 90s classic. Is it a classic? I'm not sure it's a classic, really. Chain Reaction. It is an absolute classic. <laughs> I love Chain Reaction. Do you? Yeah, I genuinely, genuinely do. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I mean, Keanu is obviously bad in it, <laughs> um, but I really like Rachel Weisz, and uh, Morgan Freeman's great. 
I, I think I've seen Chain Reaction five or six times. Oh, my God. It's one of those films that if it's on, I just sort of think, yeah, yeah. go on. It's oh. good fun. Oh, good, okay. good, clean good. I'm fun. really glad. Chain Reaction is supposedly a techno thriller about discovering who sabotaged an experiment to create a new low-cost fuel out of water, but really it's a study of Keanu Reeves on the run. He's constantly running in this picture, first away from that explosion at a laboratory in a converted Chicago steel mill. It's got a lot of science in it. That is nebulous science, I have to say. It's never, <laughs> never actually pinned down what they're even doing. Oh, this is a good start. But we're looking at nuclear fusion, aren't so we? So we're, we're looking at nuclear fusion. They're looking at hydrogen energy, oh, uh, yeah. which is never really properly defined how they're... Yeah. So it, it sounds a bit like they're doing electrolysis, basically, like splitting <laughs> water into hydrogen and oxygen, um, which we all know doesn't release enough energy you know, to blow up seven blocks of Chicago. Yeah, you wouldn't be getting chased around for that. No, so we are inferring that they are doing something a little bit more naughty than just mm. uh, electrolysis. And but they're essentially claiming that they've discovered sort of unlimited energy, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, which, which, free which for leads everyone. us to believe that it's nuclear fusion. So what's our big question going to be then? So our big question is going to be, will fusion energy save us? And who have we tracked down to smash this question apart? So we've got one of the leading lights in fusion energy, uh, Professor Steve Cowley, He's a theoretical physicist, currently president of Corpus Christi College in Oxford. Uh, he is former head of the UK Atomic Energy Authority and has devoted his career to making fusion power a reality. Nuclear fusion is the process that stars use uh, to take small uh, nuclei of atoms, join them together and make big nuclei of atoms. So, for instance, our sun is turning hydrogen into helium. Um, hydrogen has one proton in its nucleus, and helium has two protons and two neutrons. That process uh, is what makes the sun incredibly hot. Nuclear fusion makes incredible amounts of energy. Every time you fuse a nucleus to another nucleus, you release lots of energy. But it takes a huge amount of energy to initiate that fusion. If you want to do fusion on Earth, you've got to create these conditions that we only see in nature in the middle of stars. And that is so amazingly hot uh, that it's really difficult to figure out how you would contain the fusion fuel in any way so you could make it that hot. I mean, a typical temperature you need to do fusion is about 200 million degrees. To hold that, you can't hold it in a piece of metal because it would melt. So you've, the way we want to do it is by holding it in a cage of magnetic field. In fact, we've been able to do that. We've been able to contain fusion fuel at 200 million degrees in a donut-shaped cage of magnetic field. How long have we known about nuclear fusion? So, so, so since about 1920, that's when Arthur Eddington said uh, it's probably fusion that, that powers the sun. How did he figure it out? 
Well, by, by looking at the kind it's of bloody hot, it's really hot. <laughs> Something's going on. So, I mean, that was the time when we were starting to realize that, you know, you could release energy from the atom according to E equals MC squared, Einstein's yeah. famous equation. And then in 1934, Ernest Rutherford did an experiment like actually producing fusion energy. Uh, he fused deuterium, which is yeah. a heavy isotope of hydrogen, um, into helium. So we, you know, we sort of started messing about with it in the 20s and 30s. So hang on, how's Rutherford doing that in 1934? Uh, quite crudely. So he basically put... But like, he's not getting more energy out. No, no. So he, he is bunging a whole lot of energy. And so he, like, he had a thing that produced like 100,000 volts, produced a beam of protons and fired them at a target. And, so you just bombarded And the metal target, basically you got fusion within it because you could see by the voltages that are generated that you got some, you know, more energy out than you'd kind of expect. But he didn't get more energy out than he put in. Okay. And it wasn't at 200 million degrees. No. No, no, right. it was, and it was not controlled. You know, you couldn't then take that, you know, heat and and produce anything. So, so it was a kind of proof of principle, if you like, that yes, you could, if you put enough energy into something, create the right conditions, you can sort of release the energy that's inside the atoms. But in terms of um, energy output, fusion is supposed to be the the, like, the big dog. Like, yeah, the yeah. One, so it? fusing together two fairly light elements. Uh, so that they they basically then release like binding energy. So they make a third different element, and you release a lot of energy. Whereas um, if you break apart a heavy element, which is fission, then you get you know you get a lot out. But but you know the fusion gives you a lot lot more energy, and it's a, certainly a lot more than you get from chemical reactions. Like you know millions of times more efficient in terms of releasing energy than chemical reactions. So all this stuff that's locked up inside the atom is definitely worth trying to get hold of. So how how does the energy emerge then? If if I combine my two light elements, then you make a third element, and all the binding energies. When you do the calculations of the binding energies for all the nucleons, then you find that actually, you know, you've released a whole lot of energy that was there in the first place, and that comes out effectively as heat. So Professor Steve there was talking about obviously not being able to just use like a barrel to do it in because. The walls would melt or burn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so using uh, magnets. Yeah, the, wooden, the era of wooden barrel fusion it never yeah. really took off. Rutherford's era. <laughs> <laughs> so he's using uh, magnets to contain yeah, the fusion reaction. because you create a plasma, which is a kind of a gas of charged ions. So because they've got an electric charge, you can use a magnetic field to just hold them in place. You have to shape the magnetic field really carefully and, and just make sure there's kind of no weak points or anything because the plasma... Um, plasma is a nightmare, you know, millions of degrees, and it just will, you know, writhe around as much as it can. But if you can confine it and contain it and just keep it all away from the walls of the container using magnets, then you're golden. And and how good is it as a containment mechanism? It's good. It, it works, except it's hard to kind of sustain it because the plasma is so hot and so active. And, you know, basically it's, it's this gas is sort of looking to change its configuration the whole time, change its shape. So if there's any weak points or it just gets too hot in one particular place so it's got more energy, then you'll, it'll break it through the magnet. Out. Yeah, and then, then it hits the walls of your container, and then you've got to have a new container. So if I do have a weak spot in my magnetic containment and the plasma escapes, am I in danger of having a sort of Chernobyl-style runaway reaction? Or even a chain reaction-style runaway Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. No, very good, actually. No, yeah. you're not. Um, basically, if the plasma breaks down and breaks out, then the whole thing just sort of stops. And, oh, okay. So the the whole problem is to try and keep the whole thing running the whole time. So it's safe. You don't get you know you don't get the same kind of you know dangers that you get from fission reactors. And then once I've got my fusion up and running, then I'm just 
like with any other sort of power plant. I'm just turning some turbines with the heat, am I? Yeah, so so you take the heat, so you get a whole load of hot neutrons come out of the plasma. And and the, the hot neutrons, basically, you can put them in contact with water, create steam, and then drive a steam turbine. So old fairly, yeah, fairly old school, fairly, you know, standard. Alistair, it's working. Is it stable? Yeah, it's stable. Completely stable. My God. We go tomorrow. Tomorrow, Alistair. Temperature, gas flow, acoustic drive steady. That the regulator seems to stabilize the reaction. Lucas, my spectrometer shows stable hydrogen production. We're getting more out than we put in. And is this magnetic confinement the only sort of confinement that's being developed, or are people experimenting with? There's something called inertial confinement, which has been done in the states at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, and that's. I mean, that's sort of a bit more like what Rutherford did in a sense, but he's firing a laser, a plastic capsule, but it's, it's a big laser. I mean, it's just insane. It's like 500 trillion watts of laser power going into this tiny thing, and it causes the atoms there to get uh, fused together. So they haven't really made it work yet properly. Uh, they've, they've sort of got the initial ignition, but, but it's not really controlled yet. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really high power and it's only like 20 billionths of a second that it fires it in. So it's really, really short pulse uh-huh. of massive amount of energy firing into the deuterium-tritium mix. And you create this basically, um, you know, incredible compression through the energy, so which causes it to fuse. And then a bit later, the whole thing explodes. The whole thing explodes. <laughs> yeah, and, and you haven't actually got out more energy than you put in either. Oh, so win-win. <laughs> the, thing, the thing's fucked. <laughs> I don't get more energy out. <laughs> yeah, it's about 100 times less than the energy you put in. Wicked. But you've had a, you've, I mean, you've had a great morning. Yeah, it's quite, I mean, quite something to see. I yeah, imagine. yeah, yeah. Hmm, perfect. Do you always have to get to extreme temperatures in order to get fusion happening? Or can you, is there a shortcut? Well, some people would say... No, you can circumvent all of this drama, basically, uh, and have something that's like known, now known as cold fusion. Although the, 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 the cold fusion thing has is, is been a problem since 1989 when a couple of researchers got absolutely slated for saying they produced more energy out of this thing than the, their little reactor than, than they put in. So what they had was a bucket full of deuterium and they put in a palladium catalyst in it and they passed a, a, a current through the palladium and they said that this uh, current was causing uh, deuterium atoms to go into the palladium lattice. And because there wasn't much space for them, then they all got compressed together and they actually fused. And then they said the whole thing heated up, which proving that they got more energy out than in. And this was a massive furore like, created by this. And loads of people tried to replicate it, couldn't replicate it. It's a real sort of... Uh, bad patch in, in science in some ways. But actually, I've done quite a lot of digging into this as it happens. And there are people who still say, you know what, there's something here that's worth exploring. So there's still people actually putting a lot of money into cold fusion research. Mm. So there's, there's various private funds sort of putting... Uh, there was a, there's a one based in Oxford that put in 35 million last year into pursuing cold fusion research. There's been rumors that Microsoft are interested in sort of pursuing it a little bit and seeing if they can do something about it. There's various places in the States where there's actually centers for cold fusion trying to do this research and see whether there really is something to it or not. Now is the moment for this generation to embark on a national mission 
to unleash America's innovation and seize control of our own destiny. This is not some distant vision for America. The transition away from fossil fuels is going to take some time. 80% of the energy that we use comes from fossil fuels. If we're going to stop global warming, we've got to stop using fossil fuels. And we have to stop using fossil fuels in the next few decades. Each of us has a part to play in a new future that will benefit all of us. That means replacing 80% of our energy with some kind of renewable or nuclear energy. At the moment, renewable is doing okay, and uh, we do conventional nuclear. But if we want to do this uh, in a clean, safe way for you know hundreds, thousands, millions of years, we've got to come up with some other sources of energy. There's no question that future energy supply will be partly supplied by renewable, by solar, by wind. I'm very optimistic that because of the gigantic commitment we're getting from governments here today and the, these partners, the idea of a clean energy generation uh, doesn't require the poor countries to slow down their development. Those are marvelous ways to make energy, and we've made huge progress in the last decade in renewable energy. The only problem with renewable energy is it's variable. You get wind power when the wind blows, and you get solar power when the sun shines. The United States simply hasn't figured out how to do solar effectively right. and cheaply. You look at the country of Germany, it's working out great for them. I mean, this nation is, is vast and, and, and beautiful in its, in its makeup. In California, it's a great solution. Sure. Here on the East Coast, it's just not going to work. We need at least part of our energy mix to come from something that you can switch on at the wall and it will operate when you need it to operate. And fusion will do that for us. Fusion will provide energy when we need it in the quantities that we need it. So it's an ideal way to supplement renewable energy in a world energy mix. Every drop of water on Earth carries the fuel for controlled fusion energy. There are many fusion reactions you can do, but the easiest one you can do involves two kinds of hydrogen, Heavy hydrogen, which we call deuterium, super heavy hydrogen, which we call tritium. We make tritium from lithium. And so the fuels for fusion are deuterium, which you can get from seawater, and lithium, which you can get from seawater. And there is millions of years worth of supply of those in the sea. It's cheap, clean, non-radioactive, and inexhaustible. Can this golden prize ever be delivered to man? Wouldn't it be marvellous to have a supply of energy that didn't exist just under the ground there, but existed in the sea around everybody's country, so it was for everybody to have? That would be marvellous. I mean, it, obviously it would be marvellous, and the dream of fusion has been around, like, since the, you know, 40s and 50s, and the, you know, the joke is always, you know, fusion is just 40 years away, and always has been, yeah. and always <laughs> okay. will be, and... Uh, and you can see it's, it's a very seductive idea because you can get this from seawater. You know, you get like, you know, massive amounts of energy just from processing a bit of seawater. Uh, but you have to have a working fusion reactor, obviously, to, to make that happen. And that's proving to be difficult. You know, we've been trying to do it for 50 years and, and we're still not there yet. And slightly tangentially, how much progress are we making in getting off of fossil fuels? Well, I think we're making quite significant progress in terms of 
uh, our use of renewables. Yeah. And this is one of the things where um, fusion sort of faces a bit of a problem because actually, you know, we're having days even in the UK where, you know, solar and wind are, are producing all the energy needs. And of course it's variable, but then, you know, we're getting better at kind of battery storage of electricity. You know, we've got things coming online where, you know, we're going to be able to basically do demand reduction for energy use. So when the, there isn't good renewable energy, you can actually just program supermarket chains like massive refrigeration stores to just turn down their fridges so you re- reduce the demand. And that's happening. So you just, you know, time everything for, yeah. for when you, you know, you've so got... manage the, the your stuff. electricity yeah, so use you, better. So you manage it. So it's, it's not really true to say that we actually have to have something like a fusion reactor that we can turn on and off. And of course, you know, you can keep a gas plant going for a bit as well and just turn that on and off as and when you need so it's it's difficult sometimes to make the economic case for fusion um i think you know what it comes down to is we see the dream of fusion and it's got to be worth going for yeah because people talk about fusion like it's the perfect energy source yeah i mean it's, it's not perfect i mean aside from the difficulties of of making it work properly um which are you know huge uh you still do have an element of of problems with the reactors so so the reactor uh, buildings themselves or the containment facilities will still produce radioactive waste effectively because they get bombarded by neutrons you've got you know tritium sort of there so so you'll still have waste problems i mean you won't have the the like with fission yeah yeah so so like fission reactors you know you you have to decommission these things occasionally and dispose of the waste that you've got you know you'll get radiation damage to the structure as well so it has to be sort of rebuilt um, every now and then, probably. I mean, these are things that we don't really know yet because we haven't, you know, got to the point where these, these are a big issue. Uh, you'll need radiation shielding if you're going to work in there. So, so there's issues there, and there's a potential for sort of a release of tritium as well, radioactive gases or whatever. So, so it's not entirely perfect, but it's a lot safer, I would say, than, than a fission reactor generally. And and all energy production, there's a trade-off, isn't there? Yeah, all and, and the trade-off yeah. here is. Yeah, we're going to be producing a bit of radioactive waste. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not a huge amount. I, th- I think it's not on the scale of what we've got in terms of the, the waste that's produced from fission reactors. It's really crazy that we're trying to do something that's basically putting the sun in a bottle. But we've actually done it. The record fusion power is actually held by Cullum Laboratory here in the United Kingdom. It's a 16 million watts of fusion power came out of the European experiment JET. And Cullum is about to retry those experiments and perhaps make improvements on that world record. This means that we've actually done some fusion. We haven't done fusion in a way that's yet ready for commercial application. And particularly, we haven't done a self-sustained fusion burn of many, many minutes, hours, maybe days. That's the next step. It's the biggest tokamak ever designed under construction in France. There's a machine being built in in southern France called ITER, which is a collaboration of about half the world's population, in which we will do the first self-sustained fusion burn. That's the Wright Brothers moment, the moment that the plane takes off. That's the moment that we can say fusion will work. It is designed to one day use 50 megawatts of electricity to generate 500 megawatts for 15 minutes. Of course, after that, we have to make it economic, but, you know, it wouldn't it be wonderful that in the next 10, 15 years, we're actually doing fusion 
as a fully sustained power source. Fantastic. This at last would be the complete answer. This may be far in the future, but one thing is clear. The fusion reaction that powers the sun will be tamed on Earth. It's proved quite hard to get where we have with fusion. It's a very hard technology to, to master. And the fact that we've actually done some fusion um, and that we now know how to go to a fully burning fusion system is remarkable. People have always said that fusion is the power source of the future, and sometimes ironically so, you know, that maybe it's always going to be the power source of the future. I don't think so. I think within the next 50 years, we will start to see fusion playing a role in our energy. And in some form or other, our children will use it to power their world. So let's give them an optimistic end. Professor Steve's pretty bullish. Next 50 years. It's a long road because actually, you know, we haven't got more energy out than in yet. And that's even just in terms of just the plasma itself. You're like converting that into useful like steam turbine energy to generate electricity is even harder, you know, to make it all, make the sums add up. So, um, right. yeah, I'm not saying it's easy. And, and the reactor that he's talking about in the south of France, ITER, International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, that's... Um, that's not designed to actually produce economic energy. So that's probably going to be 25 years away from really properly switching on and doing something because um, right. it's already running late and expensive. Of course it is. Um, but, but, but this, yeah, I, I think, you know, you have to say, well, that's the next stage is we've got to do that. And so what is it that's making eaters so expensive then? Well, the idea of actually generating energy means that you've got to put in the, the proper fusion and fuel in. You've got to have the so deuterium, deuterium and, tritium. and the tritium. Yeah. And that's expensive and it's radioactive. So you've got to be more careful. There's more kind of you know, policy things that you've got to put in place. And so that's why, you know, we last did it for any sustained period in 1997. Because after that, it was all about, you know, managing the plasma and working out how to, you know, optimize the shape of the plasma and everything else. So you don't need to put your, your uh, fusion fuel in for those. You just sort of carry on trying to make the machine run better so we're trying to get it right before we like do yeah. it for real. Yeah, before we do it for real, which we'll do with ITER. Is there an issue as well um, that there's a difference between the way that sort of um, scientists look at the energy in and out and then engineers will look at it? Because <laughs> yeah. scientists will say, yeah, I think we're doing well here. Yeah. And then engineers will go, well, no. Yeah. And you actually yeah. try and do it practically. Yeah, because, you know, you can sort of put in energy into the plasma into the into the fuel or into the plasma or whatever and say oh look we're getting more energy out than than we put in and uh, not that we're really at that point yet but even when you do that you've then got to convert it to useful energy so you've got to have something coming out of the reactor that you can use to generate electricity which you know so it's not just about absorbing energy it's not just about how much you put in how much the plasma absorbs uh, it's also, you know, the whole equation is going to have to be balanced in terms of how much electricity power are we getting out for the power that we're putting in. So is anyone else doing it then? There's lots of, sort of smaller projects that saying that basically ITER is a bit of a white elephant. It's going to be too big. It's not going to produce useful power. So various people have got on board with the idea of actually producing their own little small uh, scale fusion power things. So Lockheed Martin Skunk Works announced in 2014 that they were going to produce a fusion reactor that was small enough to fit on the back of a truck. 
Uh, although cool. that's, that's, yeah, I mean, it's a nice idea. And it made the papers everywhere. Everyone was like, oh, this is it. We've solved the whole energy problem. But, um, in the, uh, intervening time, it turns out it's now got a hundred times larger. So we're going to need, we're going to need a bigger, bigger truck. truck. <laughs> Just get a big truck. It's not a problem. <laughs> It's, it's weighing in at like 2,000 tons or something. So so the initial calculations may have been uh, slightly awry. Uh, Google are on it. So Google are getting involved with sort of data analysis of trying to work out what the optimal plasma shape is. So they're working with Amazon. Amazon's are on, on it as well. Uh, they're working with Canada's General Fusion Company. Uh, so they're trying to build the world's first fusion power plant. And the Chinese are obviously on it. Obviously. Uh, obviously. Yeah. So they're working with uh, various people, including like there's a San Diego company called General Atomics, a defense contractor, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working with the Chinese. I'm not sure how that slipped past the, sure. <laughs> the government. Clean air, free energy, noble concepts. But we live on a planet that's addicted to petroleum. Now, what happens if you dump free energy onto the world market? Stock markets around the world would plummet. Our own economy would collapse overnight. Recession, unemployment, war. The world is speeding up too fast now, Eddie. We can barely hold on to this. You're right, it's not working. That's why we got to try something else. Not bury the technology, but let it out. You let it out. But you let it out at a pace the world can absorb. It can absorb it now. So how close to this this holy grail of fusion energy are we? Like fusion energy supplying our homes with electrical energy. Oh, I'm sure we're only like 40 years away. (laughs) (laughs) So Professor Steve says within 50. Is anyone more optimistic than that? Well, yeah, I mean, MIT <laughs> scientists issued a thing saying within 15 years. 15, Yeah, because they had their own little project. But you can only imagine that it's venture capitalists sort of you know, behind the whole thing saying, you know, we just need to kind of raise some money. So, you know, say that we're 15 years away, which mm. is a safe kind of figure. Or MIT trying to raise money from them and being like, yeah, I think it'll be within 15 years. Yeah, actually. exactly. So you start seeing returns. People can say what they like, really. It's interesting because um, there's a, a science writer in the US wrote a book on fusion and looked at the whole thing. And he basically called it the science of wishful thinking, which I think is, is quite a nice way to sort of sum the whole thing up. So if we have a look at our original question, will fusion energy save us? I'd say not. You're saying no. No, and and partly because, you know, we've got this great sort of improvement in green energy. We're getting better with battery technologies to kind of get rid of the intermittency and the the variability problems. So you think it's less about the viability of fusion and more about the improved viability of all the other potential energy sources? I think the economics just won't work out. It's so expensive to research and build a fusion reactor that, you know, unless somebody gives us one on a plate, you know, privately funded and everything else, I just don't think it will, you know, make economic sense to really invest that strongly in it. Okay. I'll take all my money out of fusion, I guess, I suppose. Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe and L. Scott. Sound designed by Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Professor Steve Cowley. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate and review us on whatever app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at science underscore ish.
We've got a special treat for you, you lucky things. How many can you save? Eleven species. Blue is the last of her kind. Coming up in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be exploring the science of the new release, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is in cinemas now. Hey, Blue. You know me. Come with me. You know you can't stay here. The dinosaurs are back. Naturally, we've been given extra special access, making it the first science dish ever in which we'll actually get to speak to a real-life Hollywood director. What do you think of that, Broxy? I am blown away. We have arrived. They're a cell wall. Not blue. They need it for something else. Uh, and what's the big question of the film, Brooksy? Well, you'll just have to wait and see. But uh, suffice it to say, the island on which all the dinosaurs live may or may not have a massive volcano that's about to erupt, and we may or may not have to save them all. So we're going to be blowing open the science and ethics of our godlike power over all the other species. So humans holding the fate of the dinosaurs in our hands again. Genetic power has now been unleashed. You can't put it back in the box. It's just the relish with which you say godlike power that makes I me love sick. It. I, I love you it. Do. <laughs>